1: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. There are great piles of stuff in the news. <laughs> I want to get to and share it with you. huge protests in Berlin, Germany. Uh, tens of thousands, uh, perhaps uh, 100,000 people marching under the name Indivisible. And the slogan for an open and free society, solidarity, not exclusion, they called it the untilbar, indivisible, march against racism, exclusion, and exploitation, and for an open society. This from Common Dreams, organizers of the march decry the growing divisions in European society that they claim are being fueled by policies that accentuate the gap between rich and poor, that prioritize militarism and security over human rights, and then promote nationalism, over inclusion and this of course is the right's whole shtick many of the people participating in these marches were saying things like untrump the world what we're seeing in the united states with trump what we saw in hungary with Viktor orban what we saw in poland and i can't remember the guy's name in fact i'm not sure i could pronounce it anyway the new president of poland what we saw in turkey with erdogan the philippines with duterte what we may well soon be seeing in Brazil, which is going the exact opposite direction of Mexico, Mexico just uh, elected their very own Bernie Sanders essentially. Brazil is about to elect their very own, I mean, not even Donald Trump, their very own Steve Bannon. What's tearing the world apart in these regards, and the places where the Reich like this, and, and there was a big story in today's Financial Times about how uh, Angela Merkel's party, the Christian Democrats just took a huge beating in one of the major elections in Germany, down to the low 30%. And they're going to have to form a coalition either with the Germany First Party, which is the reinvention of the Nazis, essentially, or with the Green Party, because the Green Party did really well. They pulled something like 17% of the vote, which is historic. And much of that came from the, 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 the Christian Democratic Party, Angela Merkel's party. So what we're seeing all around the world is as the Davos crowd, as the, the very, very rich have rigged the world economy to their benefit all the while saying, huh, you know, and with these trillions of dollars that we've stolen from the middle class all over the world, we'll give you a, you know we'll fund a little school here, a little you know building project there, or maybe we'll try to do away with polio and Mali or something like that. It's a scam. And it's a, frankly a vicious scam. We're seeing this now here in the United States. Once again, anger at Trump inaction as Hurricane Michael leaves millions without power. You go all across Florida Panhandle and now the states north of that into Georgia and the Carolinas. We're seeing massive destruction from this hurricane. The fourth most powerful storm ever to hit the United States. The most powerful storm ever to hit that part of Florida ever. And you've got millions of people who not only have no power, but they have no food and they have no water. And Trump is flying down there today to do a photo op, and I guarantee there'll be lots of food and water around him when he does the photo op, but there are huge chunks of Florida and Georgia, Southern Georgia and and the Florida Panhandle in particular, where people are facing serious disease as a consequence of not having fresh water to drink. Florida resident Tracy Simmons told the New York Times, they're doing to us like they did New Orleans. Barbara Sanders, resident of Panama City. We're not getting any help. Looks like a bomb has been dropped on our town. We need food. Chantelle Gulsby, who lives in Panama City. We need food, water, everything. The whole street needs food. FEMA referred me to you. She's talking about the Red Cross. And then that person told me to call 211, the Florida United Way. So everybody's passing the buck here. And this is just another example of what happens when neoliberalism wins, you know, this philosophy that the rich can run things better, that the rich, you know, philanthropy from rich people should be, you know, how we get our health care and how we get our public transportation and how, you know, let's privatize everything and let the rich people make a profit on it. And then with that profit, they'll say, hey, here you go. And we're seeing a piece of this right here in, in Oregon. This is an amazing story. In Philadelphia, they put a three-cent-per-ounce tax on soft drinks. I think I mentioned I was at this vocal board meeting in Denver over the weekend. And it's voqal.org. It's a, an organization that basically passes out money to progressive groups. And I've been on the board for over a decade, I think. We have board members from all over the country. And a couple of people were telling me about how in their towns, and, I, and my recollection is Minneapolis was one of them, how in their towns the sugar tax on sodas actually measurably reduced obesity. Well, here's a report, this is from Harvard, and this is a couple of years ago, this is when Philadelphia was debating the tax. And what they said was a three cent per ounce tax on sugar sweetened beverages, proposed in Philadelphia, this is from Harvard University Medical School, could help 36,000 people a year avoid obesity, prevent 2,280 annual cases of diabetes, avert 730 deaths over a decade, and save almost $200 million in health spending. In addition to that, the city of Philadelphia would generate an additional $400 million over five years that they could use for everything from public health initiatives to repairing the roads. So, uh, a, number one. Number two, Berkeley, California did this. They put a tax on sugar, sugary beverages. And low income, this, this from um, Reuters, a okay, column by Ronnie Cohen, as voters consider soda taxes in four U.S. cities, a new study finds that low-income Berkeley neighborhoods slash sugar-sweetened beverage consumption by more than one-fifth after the nation's first soda tax went into effect. This was in 2014, a penny announced tax on soda, one-third of what Philadelphia was talking about, and other sugary drinks. And uh, after the tax took place in March 2015, residents of two low-income neighborhoods reported drinking 21% less of all sugar-sweetened beverages less soda than the year before. The soda industry has spent millions of dollars defeating taxes on sugary drinks in dozens of cities, but in Berkeley it passed with 76% of the vote. They're doing, this is on the ballot in Boulder, Colorado, San Francisco, Oakland, Albany, all over the place. And so what's happening here in Oregon? We've got Propositions 103 and 104. Uh, I'm not sure if it was both of them, but 103, I think, pretty much for sure. We're seeing all these ads on TV with some, like, granola-eating guy in a health food store going, you know, we don't charge taxes on groceries in Oregon, and we never should, but they keep trying to put taxes on, and and they scroll some of the Republican efforts to tax groceries over the years that were easily knocked down, and says... We need to put it in our Constitution that there can't be taxes on groceries. Well, the constitutional amendment that they want us all to sign off on, and it sounds so good, yeah, let's help low-income people, let's ban taxes on groceries, actually specifies sugary soft drinks as a grocery. It names them in this thing that they want to put in our Constitution to make it illegal for us ever to put taxes on soft drinks that are causing obesity and diabetes. And that's really what it's all about. And, and it's so deceptive. And this is an example of how, you know, this direct democracy sounds like a great idea until the Supreme Court comes along and says, yeah, but the beverage in- industry can drop, bill- you know, millions and millions of dollars into a, st- a small state like Oregon and just, you know, wipe out public opinion. And I'll, you know, let you know in 30 days, in 26 days or four days or however long it is to the election, you know, how it, how it worked out. But that's what's going on. So you've got that. In the good news side, well, maybe this isn't good news. I don't know. I guess it depends on whether climate change goes to the Supreme Court and whether Brett Kavanaugh has anything to say about it. Bart Kavanaugh. This from The Guardian. Trouble brewing? Climate change to cause dramatic beer shortages. Climate change set to cause dramatic price spikes and supply shortages. Extreme heat waves and droughts will increasingly damage the global barley crop. So look for the price of beer to be going up as a result of global warming. Elizabeth Warren. Donald Trump has been calling her Pocahontas for a couple of years, evoking or invoking when it's said in the way it's said by a white guy like Donald Trump, basically a racial slur and uh, because she had said, now she never benefited from this, right? Uh, Trump and the Republicans have tried to suggest that Elizabeth Warren got into Harvard because of this, or she got a job as a professor because of this, or blah, de, blah, de, blah. Her saying that her great, great, great grandmother was Native American has never given any benefit to her whatsoever. She has never used this for her benefit she has said it a few times and she even said it you know, as part of her resume when she was uh, you know, going to work as a professor but it, you know it had nothing to do with why she got the job so trump's been making fun of her and said he'll give a million dollars to a charity if she takes a dna test and there's any native and, and she and turns out she's an indian well you know obviously he's going to welch on it saying well you, you know you're maybe one thirty second of an indian that doesn't mean that you're an indian you know I, but but she took the test and sure enough, her great, 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 great grandmother was a full blooded Native American. And, you know, she grew up in Oklahoma, where, by the way, this is not at all uncommon, right? And so, what did Donald Trump say this morning when this news came out and, and the reporters came up to him and said, So, you're going to give that million bucks to Elizabeth Warren's favorite charity? And he's like, Well, who cares? I didn't say that. Nope, you better read it again. That's a verbatim quote from Donald Trump this morning as he's walking out to his helicopter. I didn't say that, but you can watch the tape you can watch the tape i mean you know it was during one of his rallies that has been videotaped so how's he going to get out of this and then john kelly i got to tell you what john kelly said about elizabeth warren john kelly the uh, chief of staff sent an email to kevin carroll who is his senior aide at the department of homeland security this was back when he was running dhs and elizabeth warren had called him up about the travel ban the muslim ban right and She was upset about it, and justifiably so, and she wanted to know how he was implementing it and what he was doing. And he writes this memo, which just came out through the uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit that was filed by BuzzFeed, the news organization. He said, and I quote, absolutely most insulting conversation I've ever had with anyone. What an arrogant, what an impolite, arrogant woman. She immediately began insulting our people, accusing them of not following the court, order insulting and abusive behavior towards those covered by the pause blah 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 too bad and then carroll responds his assistant responds to him too bad senate majority leader mcconnell can't order her to be quiet again right do you notice something going on here among all these men in the republican party and the way that they think of and act toward women But speaking of uh, Elizabeth Warren and Native Americans, and I mentioned this last week, but it's worth repeating again. Last Tuesday, one of Brett Kavanaugh's very first actions was to blow away Native American rights in North Dakota. North Dakota has a brand new Republican-backed voter ID law. And this requires not only that you have an ID, but that your ID have an address that's a physical location rather than a post office box. And the reality is a large percentage of Native Americans who live on the res, uh, who live on reservations, only use a post office box. And there's reasons that have to do with tribal sovereignty and where the post office can go and can't go, and also issues of poverty. And a lot of people don't even own a home to have an address. So what we're looking at is roughly 20% of all the voters in the last presidential election were Native Americans living on reservations in North Dakota. 20% of them. And probably about half of that, 20% of all those voters, 70,000 North Dakotans turned out, about half of them will probably not now be able to vote. And this went to the Supreme Court, and Brett Kavanaugh said, that's fine. We don't need Native Americans voting. Don't need them voting at all. Meanwhile, the smoking gun, this is Josh Marshall. He said, so the white nationalists, Bannon and Kobach, are the guys behind the plan to rig the census to disenfranchise blue state voters. Ari Berman, the journalist who has a show on MSNBC, he's calling this the smoking gun. He says, this is the smoking gun showing that Steve Bannon and Chris Kobach pushed the citizenship question on the 2020 census. It had nothing to do with the Voting Rights Act. It was all about suppressing immigrant votes. Meanwhile, Rick Scott is out here wearing a Navy hat and it's really starting to piss off veterans. I mean, seriously upsetting veterans. He's been wearing this Navy hat for a long, long time. And there's this new ad by Vote Vets where uh, Alan Madison, he's a Navy veteran, it's a 30-second ad, you can find it on, online. He says, I see Rick Scott wearing that Navy hat everywhere he goes, but let me tell you what he did to us veterans. And then he talks about how under Scott's, this is a Crystal Hayes, USA Today article, under Scott's tenure as CEO of Columbia HCA, this is before he became governor, The for-profit company was fined $1.7 billion for defrauding millions from Medicare, Medicaid, and TRICARE, a military health program, and the company's settlement with the Justice Department says. In other words, Rick Scott's company, which he ran, admitted that they'd ripped off veterans, and they paid a $1.7 billion fine because they ripped them off to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And then when Rick Scott was questioned about this under oath, and the the ad is actually showing clips of this, when Rick Scott testified about this under oath, he took the Fifth Amendment. I I refuse to answer because it might incriminate me. Yes, you're a criminal, Rick Scott. We get it. You're a criminal. And now he wants to be the senator from Florida. It's mind boggling. Tell your friends we now know that friends and family are more credible more easily believed than actual news sources tell your friends about this stuff blindsgalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online And because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over two million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out blindsgalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's blindsgalore.com. Tom Harvin here with you, and Tom Perez is on the line with us. He's the uh, chair of the Democratic National Committee, the DNC. He's the former U.S. Secretary of Labor, among other things. Democrats.org is the website. You can tweet him at Tom Perez, P-E-R-E-Z. It's
0: always good to be on your show, Tom. You were talking about Steve Bannon and the citizenship question. As someone who led the Civil Rights Division, the notion that they needed that information for uh, Voting Rights Act enforcement purposes is categorically uh i'll say just false there yeah was this another is word i was going to use but yeah well I this is the
1: lie that the, this is the lie that wilbur ross was putting out when in fact he was dancing That's to correct. the tune of the racists and the, the you know i mean literally steve bannon says use racism you know it's a good thing the racists in the white house um it's pretty it, mind-boggling it,
0: absolutely it, it, and and right now as we speak uh the person who handled uh, the voting docket when i led the civil rights division uh, is now in the senior leadership of the New York Attorney General's Office, and he is the lead lawyer on the case that is in federal court in New York City uh, involving this uh, the illegality of asking the question. And the issue before the Supreme Court, as we speak, is whether they will be allowed to depose Wilbur Ross. Now, it, it's a high bar that you have to surmount to depose a sitting cabinet secretary. That is the well-settled law. But when you find out that the cabinet secretary has lied, you have surmounted it. (laughs) and he should absolutely be allowed to be deposed but if the we'll supreme find that out within the next week
1: yeah and and if the supreme court says no you can't depose him then i think we can infer from that that they're also going to say no you can't depose the president if you have evidence that he's committed crimes which is the position that brett kavanaugh took in his uh, law review paper that got him you know at the top of donald trump's list do i have that right
0: uh, i wouldn't bet against that tom
1: yeah because okay.
0: uh i mean i it struck me that his that theater, that's the most charitable word I can think of, uh, of his testimony, that he had an audience of one there, and that audience was Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about uh, voter purges. Greg Pallas just released the list from Nevada, 90,000 people just in Las Vegas and Reno and Clark and Washoe counties have been purged from the voting rolls in the last year. He's got the list on his website at gregpalace.com and we've had listeners all over the country checking these lists out, particularly the Georgia list, which he's had for about a week, and finding their own names on them and calling into this show outraged. He has the list of the 550,000 voters who were purged in the state of Illinois, and he has the list of the 90,000 voters who were purged in Indiana on his website. What are we doing about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so important for people to plan ahead before they vote. Uh, we have a website, Iwillvote.com, and we can help with that. We have a 800 number, 833 Dem vote that we've set up. Uh, don't wait until election day to get out there and vote and learn that uh, shenanigans have taken place. One of the ground zeros right now of voter suppression is down in Georgia where uh brian Kemp, whom i sued when i led the civil rights division because he was a practitioner of voter suppression and, and this,
1: was, this, was this was this was years ago this is like four or five years ago right
0: oh i sued him in like 2011 i think it was it wow. was i mean it, the, the, i mean you you know because you and i have talked about this you've played the, the 41 second tape from paul Wyrick oh they yeah want less people to vote and uh that's that's the key and and what they're trying to do in georgia for the benefit of your listeners Uh, They enacted a voter ID law. It was upheld. And so what did um, progressives do? We made sure that people had their IDs. What else happened? The New Georgia Project, which was a remarkable initiative led by Stacey Abrams, who's going to make history, by the way, in 22 days. She led an effort to register eligible voters in Georgia. They registered over 200,000 and so what did the republicans do they enacted a new bar and uh, and now they've enacted a requirement that if it isn't a perfect match between your form of id and what you have on the voter rolls then you can't vote right. and, and let me give you an example you know if your name is thomas perez jr and your driver's license says thomas perez comma jr and the voter roll says Thomas Perez Jr. The absence of a comma keeps you disenfranchised. Well, here's and, what's going on. And, and, and the more
1: common hours. one is this: you know, like, my name is Thomas Carl Hartman. So if I said Thomas C. period Hartman in right. one place and Thomas C. Hartman in another place, that's not a perfect match, according to, to Brian Kemp. And I would be thrown off the voting rolls. And I lived in Georgia right. for 13 years, never had a problem voting. But that was back in the 80s. Uh, forgive my interruption. Back to you, sir. Right.
0: No, no, but but here's here's the drill. The reason they made this BS up is because the list of voters, um, and there's fifty thousand potentially disenfranchised voters on this list, and seventy percent uh, of them are African American, and by way of so you have a benchmark. Thirty percent of voters in Georgia are African American. Seventy percent of voters potentially disenfranchised are. African-American. This is textbook voter suppression. This is a textbook violation of the Voting Rights Act. This is a violation of the Constitution. This is a violation, frankly, of the, of, uh, the motor voter law. Uh, and that's why a lawsuit has been filed. And, and this is just the next chapter of voter suppression, which is why it is so critical for listeners before the election to get online. You can go to I Will Vote. You can call that number I mentioned, 833-DEM-VOTE. And and make sure you are registered, and make sure that all your stuff is in order, uh, because they're going to try to make it hard. That's yeah. their only way to win, because they're wrong on all the issues. And you saw Kemp's outrageous ads in the Republican primary. Uh, you know, he wants to make it harder for African Americans and Latinos to vote, and yeah. he should resign, quite frankly. Uh, it's unconscionable
1: Secretary that of State, the yeah.
0: Secretary of State is able to run for governor. I uh, th- this is, you know, to say this is the fox guarding the henhouse is a disservice to all foxes.
1: <laughs> well, Chris Kobach just did this in Kansas, too. I mean, exactly. th- this, oh th- this is God. not something new. And it's not just a violation of all these various laws. It's also a violation of basically the principles of small-d democracy all the way back to the days of Athens. Blatantly a violation of that. We're talking to Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC. If the five... Republican appointees, the five conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court, had not voted to, had not chosen to gut the Voting Rights Act, which was renewed by Congress. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was almost, almost 98 to nothing. Yes. Yeah, 98 to nothing. There were two people didn't vote. Um, it, and and so obviously the will of Congress was there. In fact, they addressed that. They said, oh, well, people in Congress were afraid to vote against it because they didn't want to be called racists. But we don't care if we're called racist because we don't get reelected. So we're just going to strike this this sucker down or at least a good chunk of it. Had the Supreme Court not gutted the Voting Rights Act, would Georgia have been able to do this?
0: No. And, and that's a really good question. Uh, the, the Probably one of the two or three worst days of my tenure in the Obama administration was in 2013 when the Supreme Court in a case out of Alabama uh, gutted the heart of the Voting Rights Act. So what would have happened if the Voting Rights Act were still in place is that the requirements that Georgia is putting in place now to make it harder for African-Americans and potentially Latinos to vote would have had to have been pre-cleared by the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. Right. And that preclearance requirement was essential because we saw so many actions. Some were not subtle. Some were uh, very subtle, uh, but no less um, uh, unlawful. And and that's why Section 5 was such an important uh, bulwark in our voter protection infrastructure. And that's why without it, everybody has to step up. And uh, that's why I've been so actively involved in this. That's why the DNC, through our voter protection program, is so actively involved. And that's why there's so many, uh, you know, uh, Eric Holder's group, um, so many great lawyers in the private uh, bar, in the civil rights bar. Everybody's actively involved. This is an all-hands-on-deck enterprise. But I'll tell you the best thing that can happen right now is for people to plan ahead, to make sure they leave nothing to chance. Don't simply show up on Election Day uh, because without having made sure that you are eligible to vote and and everything is in order. Uh, That ounce of prevention is critical because, uh, you know, we have we have such tremendous opportunity to take back our democracy, uh, Tom, in 22 days. I mean, we can win. uh, We could win a dozen governor's races. Um, And with the exception of one or two, and I'm talking about governor's races, where we're flipping a seat currently held by a Republican into Democratic hands. Um, In almost all of those cases, the challenge is the following. They're dead heat races. We have the momentum. We have the better candidate. We're fighting for the issues people care about, whether it's health care, education, women's reproductive health, climate, uh, immigration. But you know what? When you have dead heat races and you have this voter suppression going on, and I could talk about North Dakota and what they just did yep. up
1: there, I can talk about Georgia. Yeah, they just disenfranchised about, uh, Native Americans. Yeah, um, Native Tom, Americans. we have we just have a minute and a half till we're going to hit a hard break here. I had a caller to my show last Friday. A, s- a sweet woman sounded just like, you know, uh, a nice, progressive, blah blah and she said, you know, I worked, I'm in Texas, and I worked as a voting uh, officer for 20 years, and I can tell you, if you get a provisional ballot, all you have to do is write your name and address on the outside of the envelope, and not only will that ballot be counted, but you will be automatically re-registered in all 50 states. And I'm like, that is complete BS. It's a complete lie. It's not true. Provisional ballots, you know, the 95% of the time are never counted. And uh, she continued to insist this. And then I got a bunch of calls from and and tweets from people saying she had called into Stephanie Miller's show before me and said the exact same thing. There is a campaign by Republicans to convince right. Democrats that if you get a placebo ballot, if you get one of these provisional ballots yep. that don't get counted, you're it's just fine. Don't worry about it. And this this is what accounts for red shift. This is why and. We we've been seeing this since the giant right. voter purge in Florida in the 2000 election where Jeb Bush did this to hand the election to his brother, you know, throwing 90,000 African Americans off the vote. People get a provisional ballot, they vote, they think they voted, they tell the exit pollsters, "Yes, I voted for the Democrats." And suddenly there's a 5 point difference between, right. you know, what the exit polls show and what the actual polls show. Uh d- is there an institutional or a specific program that the Democratic Party is going to put into place to solve this sir?
0: A, a voter protection has to be in place in all 50 states you're absolutely right that if you cast a provisional ballot it is all too likely not to be accepted that is why it's important to go to iwillvote.com make sure your registration is in order and you can vote 22
1: days till the weekend folks there you go and what was that toll-free number you gave us again
0: 1-833-DEM-VOTE DEM-VOTE
1: Okay, 183. And that's if you have a voting problem or if you just want to know what's going on.
0: Anything, any questions.
1: Any questions. Be safe. 833-DEM-VOTE. Tom Perez, thank you so much. The chair of the DNC. Ridgizone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Ridgizone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Ridgizone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA-accepted and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to TryRidUZone.com and use the promo code Tom, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's TryRidUZone.com, promo code Tom. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Johnny in Lamarck, Texas. Hey, Johnny, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's on your mind? Hey, Tom, thanks for being there. Uh, You recall most recently uh, Chuck Grassley,
2: Lindsey Graham, and Senator... Marble mouth Mitch McConnell, right. are all doing this Frank Luntz like mental gymnastics to reframe a uh, couple of women at the Jeff Flake elevator the other day as representing some kind of angry mob out of control that threatens their very lives, right. including those activists at the back of the hearing room who are just practicing democracy. Right. So I'm bringing this up is because I have a one of the many strategies I think we could be employing for dealing with the expected Republican Party voter suppression tactics at the polling places. So in advance of voting day, and early voting even, what we could be doing and should be doing online, as well as when we actually go to the polling place, is to have side-by-side comparison videos. Now, I know they didn't have video phones back in 2000 during the Florida recount, but I did see on Free Speech TV a number of years ago a documentary that included a reenactment of those paid what I call Republican Party crisis actors who were screaming and yelling and banging on the glass door, demanding to be let in. And they they were let in by the uh, law enforcement on duty there, because law enforcement tends to be conservative, as we all know. So what we should do is be playing that reenactment side by side with, with these women at the elevator crying to, to Jeff Flake, expressing the, their, their trauma and what kind of consequences he can have as a senator. Mm. And then use that as a way of, of shooting down Grassley, Graham, and McConnell's stupid idea about how the mob is represented in the Democratic
1: Party. What do you think about that? I, I think it's an idea, I think it, it, and a good idea, Johnny. I think that there is, you know, it, just think for a minute. if the Republican Party were the victims of voter suppression, the way that the Democratic Party is, how would they be fighting back right now? If the Republican Party was the victim, of the stacking the courts in ways that would work against the Republican Party. How would they be fighting back? And I can tell you, it would be brutal, it would be fast, it would be efficient, it would be across all the media. I mean, they can, they basically control all radio media in the United, all political radio media in the United States already. And a good chunk of the television media, they've got their own networks from Glenn Beck's Blaze to Fox so-called News. And they would just be raising holy hell. And we talked to Tom Perez. The Democrats are raising hell. They are doing lawsuits. They have set up a you know a hotline and all this. But it's getting absolutely no coverage. And it's not because yeah. the Democrats aren't talking about it. And that's the only kind of fly in the ointment with your idea, Johnny, is that you know unless you had friendly local billionaire who's going to put up Koch brothers level money to take that ad that you're talking about national, It just won't get covered by the press because the press does not cover the Republican crimes. They only, you know, if a Democrat gets caught, oh, my God, let's talk about this, you know, forever. But, you know, Bill Clinton got a BJ. Oh, my God. But if a Republican is in trouble, uh, I mean, you know, four of the five floor leaders who were
2: Is we produce these videos, these side-by-side video, and put it on the Internet, on the virtual reality for young folks, and show up at various key
1: uh, broadcast stations, terrestrial. Well, put together the video, Johnny, and post it to me on Twitter, and I'll do my best to redistribute it. Or if anybody else has the skill to do that, Johnny, thank you for the call. Tom Harvin here with you. Justin Rosario writes for the Daily Banter. And uh, in fact, when we were doing the TV show out of DC, the founder of the Daily Banter was on our program regularly, Ben Cohen. Ben Cohen was the founder of Daily Banter. And there's this piece over at the Daily Banter, and I'm wondering your thoughts on how this might work. I mean, up to this point, when liberals or Democrats go on the air and say that the people who follow Trump are deplorables, as Hillary Clinton famously did, even though it was in a private setting, you know, leaked and they turned it into an ad campaign, essentially. That seems to be something that really POs the Trump voters and in theory makes them stronger because we've called them out. Now they're furious. I'm not sure that's true. I think these guys, these men and women, are actually giant snowflakes. I think that it offends them and it makes them angry, but I think that it actually empowers our side and that we should do more of it. And this piece has been trending over a Democratic underground for a couple of days now, and I thought, okay... So I'd like to get your take on this. Now, I realize every single one of our lines right now, if somebody's on hold, waiting to come on and comment on the news of the day or whatever it may be. So if you're trying to call in about this particular topic right this second, you won't be able to. But as we go through the callers, which I'm going to do in just a minute, lines will open up. And perhaps some of the people on hold would like to comment on this when I put them on the air. But here's what Justin Rosario wrote for the Daily Banter. There's a picture of a white guy at a Trump rally with a t shirt that says Trump 2016, and it has the F word. It says, F your feelings, right? In other words, he's a Trump supporter saying to the world, I don't care what you think. So this is what Justin wrote. I'm going to clean up some of the language in here, but he says, You're trash. You've always been trash. When liberals were polite, you were trash. When liberals got a little rude, you were still trash. Now that we're tired of your crap and treating you like the trash you are? You're mortally offended and blaming us for being trash? Get the F out of here. You laugh at sexual assault victims. You cheer Latino children being tortured. You get off on police murdering unarmed black men. You mock the disabled. You send death threats to high school students opposed to guns. You call for the murder of homosexuals. You are trash. I know it's hard to look in the mirror and realize that you're the worst that humanity has to offer, but you made that choice. No one forced you to be a garbage person. You did that. You. You can stop anytime you want to, too. But you won't because deep down inside you like being trash. So own it. That's why you love Trump so much. He told you being trash is okay. And you thought you could come out of the shadows and walk tall as a garbage person. Should we start talking like that? I'm inclined to say yes. Terry in Palm Coast, Florida. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today?
2: Oh, yes. Good morning. How are you?
1: I'm well. What do you think about Um, calling Trump supporters trash? (laughs) Although that's not what you called about, I know. I'm curious.
2: No, it's not at all. I wanted to thank you for all the inspiration that you've given me, and actually it inspired me to have my own Facebook page that reposts a lot of your posts and some comments of my own. Oh, great. um, Thank you, Terry. I am wondering what would be a feasible, workable plan to get the Koch brothers and all the other big money out of our government? If the Democrats took the entire government, could they do that? Or is yeah. there some other
1: way? There is a way to do it. Number one, that here in Oregon, when Jeff Merkley was being attacked by the Koch brothers' front groups, he ran ads just calling them out. He made the Koch brothers a campaign issue. I think that the Democrats should absolutely be doing this nationwide right now in every single race, and I don't know why they're afraid to do it. They need to get out there and they need to make the Koch brothers radioactive, and not just the Koch brothers, Adelson and the whole crowd number one. But number two, how do we get money out of politics? Money was inserted into politics in 1976 in a big way. Remember back in 1907, during the Teddy Roosevelt administration, they passed the Tillman Act, which said that it's a felony for a corporation to give money to any candidate for federal office. Fast forward to 1976, that gets struck down by a decision called Buckley versus Vallejo, and then another one two years later, First National Bank versus Bilotti, that was actually authored by Lewis Powell, that decision. And in both cases, the first Buckley having to do with billionaires, First National Bank having to do with corporations. In both cases, what the Supreme Court ruled was that money is protected by the First Amendment as if it were free speech, because corporations don't have a mouth, and because billionaires are just individual people, and they can't talk so loud that millions of people can hear them, so their money can work as their speech. I take that as a total nonsense. It's a total BS argument, but it is the law of the land now because the Supreme Court said so. So what we need to do is change the composition of the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court had not handed the presidency to George W. Bush in 2000, we would right now have a 7 to 2 liberal advantage on the Supreme Court. Instead, we've got a 5 to 4 conservative advantage. So what we need to do, if we get control, and this is your scenario, Terry, and by the way, thank you for calling. What we need to do is a simple majority of Congress can pass legislation that changes the number of members of the Supreme Court. So once we've got the White House, the Senate, and the House, and I realize it's gonna be a while, might be 2020, it might be another two years, might be even six years, who knows. But when we've got those three things, pass that law, take the Supreme Court from nine to 11, or nine to 13, have that Democratic president put four, two or four new justices on the court, and have, in the meantime, start ginning up a case, like the Buckley case, that the Supreme Court can use to reverse Buckley and reverse Citizens United and reverse First National Bank versus Bilotti and reverse McCutcheon and just reverse the whole damn thing. And that will get us back to the way we were from 1789 when the Constitution was ratified until 1976 when five justices on the Supreme Court blew everything up and turned us from a democracy into an oligarchy. Roy, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Roy, what's on your mind?
3: Tom, my JFK hero.
1: Thank you. What's up?
3: vis-a-vis the climate crisis oh by the way uh, the justin rosario remarks are right on they are it's white trash they should own it they're a bunch of crybabies though but i'm i'm really concerned about this climate crisis and i don't think the western wildfires are being recognized as a huge factor in this year's weather disruptions here piedmont north carolina every day 10 to 15 degrees above average. The misery heat index even higher. It's like 100 degrees every day into October. Well, this is this is why
1: Hurricane Michael went so far so fast. Is because the Gulf waters are averaging 83 degrees right now Fahrenheit. And yep. typically in October, this in October 15th this time of year, uh, they're 70 71 to 73 degrees. So yep. they're 10 degrees warmer than normal. That's what jacked Hurricane Michael. It shouldn't have surprised anybody. Forgive my interruption, Roy. Keep on going.
3: No, quite. That's right on, Mark. Uh, Chesapeake Bay, I went there this summer in August. They're losing a lot of their salinity. The crabs and oysters are somewhat disappearing because of all the rain we've had and the rain y'all haven't had out west there. Um, And I think it's because of these fires. They're putting heat, particulates, carbon into the atmosphere. And I have a I have an idea to fight it. I would really be interested in your opinion. You know our gargantuan military. Right. Last year, uh, all the funding went to fighting the wildfires, and there was no prevention this past winter. Trump should have seen that. Congress should have seen that. I say we just uh, rotating. Our gargantuan military, one company or in spots at a time for prevention this year, clearing the dead underbrush, maybe clearing the dead trees, planting new trees Mm -hmm. that are more suitable or something uh, yeah. you know something really ha- well
1: franklin roosevelt confronted the same problem roy we had the dust bowl was going on and literally the topsoil of the midwest was being blown into the east coast and out to the atlantic and and uh what he did is he created this thing called the civilian conservation corps the ccc and he hired a couple literally a couple million american out-of-work men and built camps all over the country for them to work from and live in, and they planted millions of trees a month and as they reforested and a lot of it was just along you know roadsides hedgerows things like that property borders but it, what it did was it broke up the winds and stabilized the soil and helped capture moisture in a way that stopped the dust bowl FDR ended the dust bowl and th- this is one of the stories of the FDR administration that almost nobody knows FDR ended the dust bowl with the CCC with a giant government program that was really just designed to put people back to work but it ended the dust bowl so yeah, Yeah, it could be done. And it doesn't need to be the military. It could be done the same way that Roosevelt did it. And I'm glad you said replacing the trees with species that are more appropriate, because one of the big problems that they have in California and pretty much everywhere else right now is that trees can't move. But the climate is moving. The heat is moving north. And if the trees could move, they'd be moving at a rate of two to five miles per year going yes. north. And they're not. They're not able to. And so what's happening is these trees that are not designed for these kind of drought conditions are being weakened and they're being attacked by insects. And, you know, all kinds of awful stuff is happening to them. And, and thus, we, you know, you have the problems that we have. So, yeah, I, whether it's the the Pentagon doing it or whether we create a new CCC, great idea, Roy. Very good idea. And I, I'm not so concerned that the burning of the forests in, in California is actually adding Huge amounts of carbon to the atmosphere compared to everything else we're doing. Um, And, you know, the soot is an issue, but we should be doing something for California and the rest of the country, Frank. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Super Beets daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Super Beets and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Tom Harbin here with you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, uh, Alan Ratner's new book, and on the line with us is the author of Sideswiped, Bob Nay. Hey, Congressman, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tom. So uh, what's at the top of your hit parade for the news today?
4: Well, 60 minutes. Was at the uh, top this morning. Anyway, everybody might be tired of talking about it. You know, by I now. have
1: not yet discussed it on this show, and I did not see it. Okay. I was on. I was flying home okay. from Denver last night and didn't. Well, I haven't seen it, the news in a day and a half.
4: It. Prime time. I watched the reruns. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but watched it. And Leslie Stahl was Leslie Stahl. I've actually been interviewed by her on 60 Minutes before. So I thought she was. You know, um, rolled out questions, irritated him here and there. But I must say, he was a controlled. What I'll call a controlled Trump. Compared to what I thought originally, you know, might be happening here.
1: Well, I bet they rehearsed the the hell out of this thing before they put him in front of that camera and 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 her.
4: On that though, I think that um, Mattis is at odds, honestly, with uh, uh, John Bolton and uh, yep. uh, Pompeo. That's what I think. Yep. He's. He's Especially
1: Bolton. Miles. I mean, Pompeo has moderated his position somewhat now that he actually has power. When he was just a, a, a you know a Republican congressman and could just basically shoot off his mouth whenever he wanted, uh, you know he was pretty radical. But uh, you know he's he's starting to behave like you know a, a reasonable person. But but Bolton, nah, not not a chance yeah, in my opinion. All.
4: And then uh, the the two things also, you know, uh, one was the statement about Mattis. And then he bypassed the issue of making fun of Dr. Ford. And, you know, of course, he said, I didn't do that. Uh, right. You know, that's not what I was doing, et cetera. To me, uh, he started to backtrack on Khashoggi. But then again, of course, today, uh, he, quote, you know, talked to the king and feels assured that, you know, the king had nothing behind yeah, him. Yeah, but
1: the king probably didn't even know. I mean, the king is in his 80s. He's he's half senile. He's, uh, this is why MBS is running the country. He's surrendered right. his power. I mean, if you want to ask who did it, everybody is saying it was uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the, the guy who was actually running the country. Uh, You know, why did Trump not want to talk to him? Is it because Jared Kushner talked to him two days before this happened? And by the way, when Jared Kushner talked to MBS two days before this happened, did he give him top secret information that allowed him to do this? Did Jared Kushner give uh, MBS top? You know, the the last time these two guys hung out together, about three days later, MBS uh, arrested a whole bunch of billionaires in Saudi Arabia and, you know, locked them down in a hotel, tortured some of them. Apparently one of them died and took all their money. Or a good I chunk money. of it. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, is Jared Kushner feeding him information and intelligence? Is that what's going on? And is he doing that in exchange for a couple hundred million dollar loan from the Saudis to keep his real estate empire afloat? Or am I just way out here, Bob?
4: No, I mean, look, let's look at uh, uh, Qatar, right? Uh, let's look at that. Uh, his father was trying to get a loan there. All of a sudden our, our policies shift. Saudi Arabia gets mad. Uh, Trump comes out against uh, uh, Doha, you know, the capital there. And uh, that, again, the relationship between the Crown Prince and Jared Kushner. And you are right. When I read this story today, preparing for your show, I, I just about died when I saw where the president said that you know, he talked to the king. The king has Alzheimer's. Right. Uh, the, the, the king doesn't know who he's talking to. Right. So that's that's my that point. statement in itself is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
4: know. So, uh, and the Khashoggi thing still continues to heat up. Now, mm. Turkey wants um, a joint. Look inside the embassy. Of course, there's not going to be anything in the embassy, and the cameras that day didn't function. Of all days, right. after you know, surprise, had...
1: surprise.
3: Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs>
4: yeah, right. No, you're right. And uh, so they're, they're going to try to do a joint investigation. And then, um, have, you, have you talked about the, uh, Senator Warren taking the DNA test?
1: I have not. I was going to talk about that in the next hour, but go okay. for it.
4: Yeah. Well, just you know, she took a DNA test, and she has uh, Native American. Uh, you know, um, blood in her uh, DNA. And not just There's a
1: little a bit. They were able to identify. She said, you know, her, her mother told her it was her great, great, great grandmother. And, you know, six generations back. And it turns out that six generations back, there was a 100 percent full-blooded Native American in her lineage. Mm-hmm. So take yes. that, Mr. Trump. And,
4: and of course, he promised a million, I believe.
1: Yes, he <laughs> promised to, to give a million dollars to, to the charity of her right. choice. But now he's lying about that.
4: Yeah, yeah, right. And he's not going to pay it. I think he said, you know, whatever uh, yeah. on the issue. Also, there's a no. He said, I didn't say that
1: this morning in, in that press. Oh, did he scrum. say that? He said, yeah, oh. I didn't say that. He said, go back and read it again.
4: Whatever. Okay, yeah. I will. And uh, and then the President, uh, as we noted yesterday, started. Uh, he said, well, I don't think climate is a hoax. He started to change his tune, which was interesting on sixty minutes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and there's a big report. Bottom line, we're running out of time. But there's a great big report of a real dire situation coming out of NASA with global warming from NASA. Yes,
1: which is controlled by the administration. Well, that's from NASA. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Right, Bob Nay, author of Sideswipe. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Oh my! How's that new Gilded Age treating you? This era from the late 1870s through. Through the crash of 1896, I think largely, was considered the Gilded Age. And then when conservatives ran things of by and for business and the fat cats who basically controlled Congress and everything else were people like Jay Gould, the railroad baron, uh, John Rockefeller, the oil baron, Mr. Mellon, I'm forgetting his first name, who was the uh, banking baron and who became Herbert Hoover's treasury secretary, as I recall. And, you know, these guys ran the world, basically, or ran the United States. And then, of course, there was the progressive era right after the assassination of McKinley in 1901 when Teddy Roosevelt became president. And Taft, after him, two relatively progressive Republicans, Teddy Roosevelt brought us the national parks and the inheritance tax and, you know, all kinds of good stuff. But the hallmarks, the kind of signature hallmarks of the Gilded Age and the Roaring Twenties, these two eras in our past, where corporations basically rose up and took over everything from you know, the average working person's life through a whole variety of mechanisms, including Supreme Court decisions. This was the era of the Roaring Twenties, was the era of the Lochner Court where they struck down child labor laws, they struck down unionization, the right to unionize, they struck down the rights of, of individual workers, basically to have any say at all in the workplace. And today, Right. We've got these three eras that were all governed by conservatives. Now, in the in the Gilded Age, the conservatives called themselves Democrats because the Republicans were the anti-slavery party, although they kind of got into the same bed there for a while. And in fact, Grover Cleveland was the only Democrat who was elected president during that entire period from the end of the Civil War until after Taft with Woodrow Wilson. And Cleveland was elected president as a Democrat twice with a Republican in between, which is very interesting. And Cleveland gave lip service to it. You know, you've heard me quote on this program in the past numerous times uh, from his, I believe it's uh, 1887 State of the Union Address, where he talked about, you know, corporations and the wealthy have risen in power to the point where the iron heel of corporations is upon the neck of the average working citizen. And you can, you know, Google that or look it up. It's in a bunch of op-eds that I've written, too. You can easily find it by searching on my name and Grover Cleveland. But... Here we are again, right? I mean, the signature, the hallmark characteristic of these three eras, the one we're currently in, the Gilded Age, the late 1800s, and the Roaring Twenties from 1920 to 1929, probably the two singular hallmarks of those eras are, number one, the very rich, and I'm talking the top 1% to the top one one hundredth of 1%, got insanely rich while working people either got flat, you know, either their wages were flat or they actually declined. That happened in all three of these eras. But the other piece of it, which is why everybody got rich outside of just tax policy, is mergers and acquisitions. Trusts is what they were referred to back in the 19th century, in the early 20th century. And that's why Teddy Roosevelt was so successful, so effective from 1901 till uh, what was it, 1908 when he was president, by being the trust buster. In quotes, I mean, he broke up these big corporations, most famously Standard Oil of Ohio, or Standard Oil of New Jersey actually was by that point in time, it started out in Ohio and they threw Rockefeller out in the 1890s. And then you had this charter mongering era where all the states on the East Coast were competing to reduce the standards a corporation had to meet in order to charter itself in their state, including the antitrust standards. And uh, New Jersey ended up with Rockefeller's business, Delaware ended up the most successful. But anyhow, that led to this explosion of mergers and these trusts. And here we are again. Trump's Justice Department just approved a $69 billion merger between CVS, nation's largest drugstore chain, and one of the five largest health insurance companies. And I'm not sure where they rank in that five, but Aetna. This is the largest health insurance deal in history. And the purpose, Robert Reich is writing about this over on his blog at robertreich.org, He says uh, the real purpose is to give Aetna and CVS more bargaining power over their consumers and employees. Right. I mean, you know, if if this new giant company is the biggest drugstore chain in town and the biggest insurance company in town and they're setting wage floors or ceilings, actually, this is sort of like the old Gilded Age in England in the United Kingdom that Dickens wrote about when there were literally and this was, you know, from the 1700s to the, the end of the 19th century. There were literally laws that were called maximum wage laws. Employers couldn't pay their employees over a certain amount because they did not want a middle class to emerge. Because as Russell Kirk talked about in his famous book, The Conservative Mind in 1951, the book that kicked off the modern conservative movement. If you have a middle class, it is disruptive. A middle class means that people will have political power. They will not be afraid for their lives and their jobs. And middle classes are bad things in the conservatives' worldview. So this is what's going on right now. It's it's suppressing wages. It's, It's making it impossible to compete. And it's not just pharmaceuticals. And so, you know, my question to you is what do we do about this and how do we do it? You know, because, A, you've got the Supreme Court has involved itself in this, and, B, basically since 1983 with Reagan, we have not been enforcing our antitrust laws. In fact, Nixon was the last guy to do this. He broke up AT&T. It took a while. You know, the final unwinding of AT&T happened when Jimmy Carter was president. But Richard Nixon was the one who initiated it. And that was really the last big time. You got the four banks, uh, five banks in the United States, now hold 44% of all American banking assets, all American banking assets. And, you know, just 30 years ago, they only controlled 10%. So, you know, we're seeing the same thing on the Internet with Comcast, ATT, Verizon, all these kind of things. As Robert Reich notes, you know, ever wonder why your airline tickets are so high? Well, you know, it's because... Even though the price of jet fuel was really low there for a couple of years, it's coming back up again now that oil is up to $75 a barrel. But, well, it was around $45 a barrel for a long time. Jet fuel got really, really cheap. And did you see a decrease in your ticket price? No. What you saw was massive profit from the airlines, right? Because they don't have to compete with each other. They basically, the hub and spoke system, they've got you nailed down. And in fact, it was interesting, I was at a meeting of the vocal board, org is the website. It's a philanthropic organization that I'm on the board of directors of. And talking to people about, you know, everybody was going home Sunday afternoon, right? And I flew nonstop back to Portland. But there were other people who, you know, there's one person who was flying back to Portland on Alaska Airlines going through Seattle right, just to, to get the miles. It's like the airlines have us locked down. And then you look at this. Monsanto alone owns the key genetic traits to more than 90 percent of the soybeans planted by farmers in the United States and 80 percent of the corn. Tell me this is a monopoly. The four largest food processing companies control 82% of beef packing, 85% of soybean processing, 63% of pork processing, 53% of chicken processing. And on and on and on this goes. This is literally the new Gilded Age. And at the same time, we are using tax policy to supercharge this, to give these big corporations even more money that they can use for mergers and also to widen The racial wealth divide, the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, ITEP, just released this amazing new report. This is the first quantitative analysis to actually look at the racial consequences of the Republican tax scam. And what they point out is that because about 80 percent of all the benefits went to the top 1 percent, the top 1 percent are three times more likely to be white people than is the general population. So, as a consequence, white families got three times the benefit. Households of color are largely excluded from any benefits from the tax cuts and Jobs Act uh, uh, benefits. This is you know, the, the Republican tax scam. And meanwhile, we've got this rigged system to keep it in place. And I want to get into that when we come back from the break. Uh, this is, you know, we've talked with Greg Pallast a number of times about this. He's got some brand new information out. Uh, you know, about Nevada, and uh, it's real interesting, and we will get into that, too. So, you know, your thoughts on the new Gilded Age, how do we get out of this? Historically, by the way, just, you know, as a point of reference, the way that we've gotten out of these Gilded Ages in the past is through massive crashes, the great crash of 1896, the great crash of 1929. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Is it going to be the great crash of 2018 or 2019 or 2020? Who knows? I mean, Trump is trying to hold it off as long as he can, but it's coming to a town near you. Brandon in Waynesville, North Carolina. Hey, Brandon, what's on your mind?
5: I live in western North Carolina up in the mountains. Mark Meadows
1: is our representative. I know he's the, Repo- he's one of the Republican people. Tea Party guy. Yeah,
5: yeah. yeah. And he's, he's kind of notorious for, uh, for all of that kind of stuff. We've got our guy running against him my name is Philip Price, mm-hmm. and I, I've seen him on a couple of like Facebook news organizations, Young Turks, that kind of thing. He said I'm not getting any backing at all from the, the Democratic committee, anything like that. Oh, um, they just kind of completely overlooked him. Yeah, and and we live in I mean we're, yeah, it's the mountains. There's a lot of uh, rural, very conservative kind of people, but at the same time, every small town here is pretty liberal pocket. I mean, more people voted in the 2016 primaries. More people voted for Bernie Sanders than anybody else in, in Haywood County, wow. um, North Carolina. And it, I mean, it's not, it's it's conservative. The loudest voices here are conservative for sure. But at the same time, I, I guess I just don't see why why these things are being overlooked. Because there could have been a potential...
1: Because there's a shortage of those- cash in the Democratic Party. Relative, I mean, the Koch brothers, their, their $300 million is being dropped right now. Uh, Shelley Adelson's tens of millions of dollars are being dropped right now. The, the, the billionaire class, the, the Robert Mercers of the world who, who uh, is largely responsible for Trump being president, They're pouring money into this like there's no tomorrow. And then on our side, we get, you know, a couple hundred thousand bucks from George Soros or a few million bucks from George Soros, maybe a million bucks from Tom Steyer. And then everything else is begging for five and ten, $27 donations. The Democratic Party is having to say, okay, where can we actually compete? And where are we screwed in advance? And I think that they think that Mark Meadows is going to be too hard to beat. It's real unfortunate that's the situation, Brandon. You nailed it. Thanks for the call. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're in it.
3: For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.